0: The Seek Podcast. We are so glad you're here. I'm Erin Scanlon, your host for this season. Each week we're sharing content that dives into the heart of the gospel, who God is, who we are, and what it means to live in relationship with Him. We're excited to walk with you as you encounter the Lord. Hi, my name is John Zimmer. I've been with Focus for about 20 years and I'm really excited to share with you today about a life of heroism, a life of greatness, It's actually a life of living virtue. I want to start by telling a story of my son, Zach, and my daughter, Juliana. So I have seven children. My wife, Barbara, and I are blessed with seven children. And when my son, Zach, uh, was about four and my daughter, Juliana, was about two, my wife was driving to Mass one day with them. And my son was kind of looking out the window and glancing at stuff. And he, he was kind of pensively thinking. he turned and he looked at my wife and he said, Mom, how do I know if heaven is for real? I can't see it. Now, my wife at the time, you know, my oldest is two, so she's, you know, relatively new to these kind of questions for a four-year-old. How exactly do you answer that question? But before she even had a chance, my son said, but mom, I know that God is for real because who would have made everything? You know, he's looking outside and he sees the, the trees and the grass and the mountains and he, he kind of just intuits somebody had to have made that. Well, my daughter, Juliana, who is two, she says, mom, I know that God is real Because he made me holy. Well, now I'm thinking, okay, uh, when I hear this story, I've got a philosopher for a son and a saint. This is pretty awesome. My son Zach says, "Yeah, Mom, Juliana likes poor people, and I like cool things." Well, you know, we're all kind of like Zach a little bit. You know, we think that there's a, a a contrary between virtue, you know, poor people loving poor people and cool things. And I don't know if you're like me, but When I first heard about virtues, I kind of thought of this, you know, the little old lady that lives down the street that bakes cookies for the people in the neighborhood, and she makes quilts. You know, that's that's a life of virtue. But I don't want that kind of life. I want cool stuff. I want adventure. I want excitement. You know, even movies these days, they mostly kind of like exemplify the person who is not living the virtuous life. The person who is living the virtuous life is boring. But the person who is not living the virtuous life, it's fun. It's exciting. I mean, just think of, for example, the Avengers movie. You know, who is cooler, Iron Man or Captain America? I mean, Captain America, yeah, we kind of admire him a little bit, but Iron Man is cool. And and that's what the movies do. You know, movies generally that, you know, they make the, the virtuous person, he's a good guy, good guy, and you should admire him, but you want to live the cool life like Iron Man. And Iron Man, especially in the earlier movies, we know he's not that good of a man in many respects. Uh. The Billy Joel song I think most of us know, Only the Good Die Young, has this lyric in it. I'd rather laugh with the sinners than cry with the saints, because sinners are much more fun. I'd rather laugh with the sinners than cry with the saints, because sinners are much more fun. And I think most of us kind of have that in us. We're like our, my, my son, Zach. We think that the, the virtuous life means hanging out with poor people and, and just kind of being boring. But the virtuous life is an adventure. I'm sorry, the vicious life. A life of vice is an adventure. And the reality is that our conceptions are are totally wrong. Virtue and living the virtuous life is how we can live a life of heroism, a life of greatness, a life of adventure, a life of excitement. And sometimes we actually see this in the movies. In fact, Iron Man and Captain America actually give us a great example of this. I'm going to fast forward all the way to the final movie. Uh, spoil alert. If you have not seen Avengers Endgame, you might want to close your ears for the next two minutes. Uh, if you're one of 12 people in America has not, not yet seen this movie. So in Avengers Endgame, at the climax, the end scene, we know that Iron Man makes the ultimate sacrifice, right? He takes, he, he takes the ultimate sacrifice to end the war by taking his own life. The, the action that he takes results in his own death. Now, Iron Man never would have been able to do that if it was Iron Man from the very first Iron Man movie. He was a, you know, a man who who pursued his own pleasures. He pursued vice. He did whatever would make him happy. But we see him progressing throughout the movies until the end. He makes the ultimate sacrifice. He gives of his own life so that others may live. That's the kind of person I think that all of us want to be. We want to be the person that's willing to do the great things in life. But, you know, it's not always that we see this. There are, there are saints who live heroic virtue that sometimes we don't even know about. And they're really the heroes of life. I think, for example, of St. Therese of Lisieux, a woman who lived the virtuous life, who prayed for all of us, and yet we didn't know about her until long after her death. And we read about her story, about how she lived a life of virtue. And St. Therese, and there are many, many people like her, that live a virtuous life, and they're really the heroes of this world. Another movie I would think of uh, would be one of my favorites, The Lord of the Rings. When you think of The Lord of the Rings, who is the ultimate hero in Lord of the Rings? Yeah, you might say, well, it's Aragorn, you know, the king who comes and he he fights the battle. We might say Gandalf, you know, there's that awesome scene where he throws down his staff and he says, you will not pass. That's awesome and it's cool. But really, the hero, the one that saves the day in the Lord of the Rings is Sam. Little Sam, the hobbit. He's not even Frodo. Frodo kind of gets the glory for destroying the ring. But it's Sam who encourages Frodo throughout the movie to do the right thing, to keep persevering, to go all the way to Mount Doom to destroy the ring. And I want to be like that. I want to be the hero that saves the day, even if nobody knows who I am. So these days, we don't we don't hear much about virtue. We hear a lot about values. We don't hear much about virtue. The world really kind of believes that society would be safe and happy and healthy if we could just instill moral values in people. Just give people the right values. If they know the right thing, then we'll have a great world. And even Christians can fall into this trap sometimes. We think, you know, if we just taught everybody the Ten Commandments, then we'd have a great society. But having clear values while a good thing is not what's necessary to live a good life. Values fall short in making people behave with the values that they value. Teaching people about morality is not the same thing as teaching how them, how to behave morally. Let me say that again. Teaching people about morality is not the same thing as teaching people how to behave morally. And it's really the virtues that allow us to live the things that we value. The battle morality at the end of the day is not so much about knowing what is right, although that's important and a first important step, but it's about having the character, the strength to do what is right. A few examples. We all know that stealing is wrong. But all of us at times might be tempted or even fall into the trap. It could be something as simple as watching a movie that we know we're supposed to pay for, but we find a free site where we can watch it for free. We all know that cheating is wrong, but everybody's kind of doing it. And and maybe even the professor kind of knows that we're doing it. And if I don't, then I'm going to get a bad grade on my test. Or perhaps gossiping, maybe even gossiping about a friend. Everybody's doing it. And if I don't do it, they're kind of going to, I'm going to be left out. Or go, go even further down the line. An example that might hit at the heart of many. We all know that adultery is wrong, but we also know that there are many men and many women who cheat on their husbands or cheat on their wives. How do we not fall into that trap? It's through living a life of virtue. We all want to be good people. We all want to be honest. We all want to do the right thing, but trying is what we have to do. Just thinking about it is not sufficient. Let me give an example. It's, it's a story I like to call the story of the two vomits. I'm a dad, seven kids, lots of vomit in our family. Uh, so two quick quick examples of this, the story of the two vomits. The first is when my son, Zach, who I referenced earlier, he was about, uh, by this time, he was about 10, 11 years old. And uh, we had a guest over for the evening and all of our kids were in bed. And we're down talking with our guest. And, and I hear from upstairs in the, in the boy's bedroom, Dad! I immediately know it's Zach. And Zach has a habit of calling me at night after I tuck him into bed. And, and I usually just, just kind of have to encourage him, Zach, it's okay. You'll be fine. You'll go to sleep. So I kind of like you know go to the bottom of the stairs and yell that up to him and go back and continue to engage in conversation with our guest. A few minutes later, Dad! Get up and go again. Son! You'll be okay, just go to sleep. Just kind of yelling up the stairs, go back down, sit down and, and re-engage in conversation with our guest. And then the third time I hear, and this time it's different, Dad! I realize there's something wrong now. And so I kind of go upstairs and I walk into his bedroom and uh, the light from the hallway shines into the room and I realize something really bad has happened. Zach, who's on the, uh, the top bunk of our bunk beds, has vomited from the top bunk down onto the ladder, onto the wall, the blinds and this this like spread out of projectiles all over the carpet. He was calling me because he felt sick to his stomach and knew something bad was going to happen, but I kept pushing him off and he let it all go Well so I go to the bottom I go to the stairs and I yell down to my wife, Barbara come up so she comes up and we start cleaning things up and I got to take Zach out so I take Zach out of his bed and I lay him on the ground on the, on the carpet in the hallway. Don't give him a blanket or anything. I just kind of lay him down there. And I'm going and I'm cleaning up. And my wife walks by Zach and sees him lying there and thinks, what is John doing? Why is he threw up? He's probably not feeling very well, but you're just having him lie on the carpet. So she says, John, you got to help Zach. And I, okay, all right. So I, I go find a blanket and I lay it on Zach and I go back and keep cleaning. My wife walks by him again. And she sees that the blanket that I've chosen is a white kind of like fake fur blanket that my daughters have. It would be really hard to clean if Zach threw up on it. Well, John, do you, do you think we should have that blanket? Can we get him a different one? And I'm just kind of like, you know, being lazy. And I say, no, he'll be fine. He already threw up. He's not going to do it again. My wife is like, okay. And so she goes down. She's like cleaning up all the stuff in the, in the laundry room. A couple minutes later, I hear, dad, I run out there. This time he did it the first time without saying dad multiple times. Now there's vomit all over this blanket. Well, you can imagine I take the blanket down to my wife and I just hand it to her and she just looks at me and takes the blanket and starts cleaning it. And I just kind of walk out embarrassed. Now, did I want to be the kind of person that, you know, isn't caring about my son, doesn't put a blanket on him? Or when I do put a blanket, I'm too lazy to go find one. It would have taken five or 10 extra seconds to find a blanket that wouldn't be that hard to clean. But now my wife has to clean a a white blanket with vomit all over it. I don't want to be that kind of guy. But I was because I was in a place of weakness. My wife was, was being virtuous. She was doing the hard work. She was encouraging me, but I was living in a place of weakness. My second vomit story. Fast forward a few years. Uh, my, uh, my regular habit is to get up early in the morning and go to work before the kids get out of bed, usually. And I'm up one morning, I'm getting ready to, to, to leave, and I notice the light in the bathroom next to my kids is on. And so I walk over there. It's about you know, 5.30 in the morning, and my daughter, Juliana... Who now is about uh, ten years old is walking out of the bathroom and she's drying her hands. And she looks up at me and she gives me a smile and She says, "Hi, Dad." Well, it's 5:30 in the morning. Usually, Juliana sleeps till about seven, seven thirty. So I'm wondering why is she out of bed and she's fairly chipper. I said, "Juliana, what's going on?" She said, "Oh, Colette, her sister Colette, who's about uh, four years old at the time, Colette got sick and well, I didn't have time to take her to the bathroom and she th- said she was going to vomit. So I just held out my hands." and caught her vomit in my hands, and, well, I was just cleaning up. She's okay now, Dad. She's sleeping. Don't worry about it. Well, that is a person who is living virtue. I don't know about you, but I'm not typically one that wants to catch vomit in my hands. Now, my daughter, Juliana, now, she's, uh, she's 20 years old. She's embarrassed by the story because she says, I would never catch vomit in my hands now. But at the time, she, she desired the best for her sister and was willing to make a sacrifice of herself to catch vomit in her hands. Now, those are kind of silly examples of living virtue or living vice, but I think they illustrate I wanted to, to be the kind of person that would take care of my family, but it was my wife and my daughter who actually exemplified that. How? By practicing day in, day out, by living, trying to live the virtues. So I think we've established desire alone is not enough. We also need the ability to do so. Most of us share many of the same values but we live those values out in very different ways. Virtue is what enables us to live what we value. Now, I've given you a vision for the virtuous life. I'd like to get really practical. First, I want to define what a virtue is for you. And then secondly, give you some tips on how to practice it. So definition of virtue, I'm going to choose here from the Catechism of the Catholic Church. This is in paragraph 1803 in the Catechism. A virtue is an habitual and firm disposition to do the good. An habitual and firm disposition to do the good. Essentially what that means is a virtue is a good habit. A vice, on the other hand, is a bad habit. Virtue, good habit, vice, bad habit. The Catechism continues. So an habitual and firm dis- disposition to do the good. It allows the person not only to perform good acts, but to give the best of himself. So to give the best of yourself is what a virtue allows you to do. The virtuous person tends towards the good with all the sensory and spiritual powers. And he pursues the good and chooses it in concrete actions. So let me give you a a little bit of a breakdown of the human soul. We all have a soul and the soul has three powers. First, the intellect. The intellect allows us to know the good, to know the truth. That's what our intellect allows us to do. Secondly, our will. Our will allows us to choose and hopefully to choose the good. And then third, we have our passions or emotions or desires, which allow us to enjoy the good or for a person who is living a life of vice to enjoy the bad. Now, a virtuous person All of these three powers of the soul, the intellect, the will, and the passions or emotions, desires, are ordered towards the good. They're ordered towards truth. They're ordered towards goodness. They're ordered towards beauty. And virtue is what allows us to live that. This is how God created us. That our intellect sees the truth, sees the good, our will chooses it, and our passions are aligned with it. This is how God created us. But unfortunately, we have a fallen human nature. And because of that, these are all twisted around. Sometimes our passions desire what is not good for us and we choose it anyway, even if we know that it's not good. Sometimes our intellect sees something that is not good for us and and actually thinks it's the good. That's the disordered way to live. That's the weakness that we have as a result of our fallen nature. But virtue and the grace of God allows us to, to reorder these things in the right way. Let me give you an example here. Imagine you're walking down the street one, one day, you know, you're in the city and there's not a lot of people around. There might be a few people in front, a few people in back. And you see something fall out of the person, maybe 25 feet in front of you. Something falls out, lands on the ground and you don't think much of it. And, you know, the person doesn't notice it and you walk up and you realize it's a wallet. You reach down, you pick it up and you look around and nobody saw you pick up the wallet and, and uh, the person still doesn't even know that they dropped it. And you just kind of start walking and you open up the wallet and you realize there's a thousand dollars in this wallet, 10, $100 bills. And you know, you're thinking, I could really use this money. Man, if a person like this has a thousand bucks, they probably got plenty of money. I bet they're not even going to notice that it's gone. And they really struggle with it. And they're they're thinking, man, uh, rent's coming up and I don't know if I have enough money. And you're just kind of all these thoughts are going through you and you, you really want to keep it and you struggle with it. And then eventually you realize, I got to give it back. And so you, you run up ahead and you tap the guy in the shoulder and they turn around and you say, sir, I think you dropped the wallet. And they look at and they, they're just overjoyed and grateful. Thank you so much. Oh my goodness. And, and you give them the wallet back and you go on your way. Now imagine that same scenario, but when you pick up the wallet and you open it up and you realize there's a thousand dollars in it, and immediately you decide, And you run to the person, you tap them on the shoulder, and you give it back to them without even thinking about it. Who is the person who has virtue? Oftentimes we think the person who struggled with it and then finally made the decision is the one that has virtue. But quite frankly, it's the person who does not struggle at all. They just run and they give the money back, and they go on their separate ways. They don't struggle. They immediately know. The good thing is to not take this money. Their will immediately chooses, i got to go give this back. And when they give it back and they walk on, they go their separate ways, they feel good about it. I'm glad I was able to help that person out. The person who's struggling to live virtue, and maybe even was struggling with the vice, when they give the wallet back and the person goes their separate way, they might even think to themselves, man, it's just, I can't believe I had to do that. And they don't feel good about it. The person who lives virtue, all of them, their intellect, their will and their passions are ordered towards the good things are out of nature be, are out of order because of our sinful nature because of our fallen nature but virtue integrates things together and what if your life was like this in all things like the virtuous person what if you didn't struggle to cheat on a test even if you knew you might get a bad grade what if you didn't struggle to gossip in fact what if you helped stop gossip from happening and turn the conversation into a positive manner what if you can enjoy stro- scrolling through Instagram for 15 minutes and then just set aside your phone and you didn't look up two hours later and realize I just wasted two hours of my life. These are small items, but if you help build, if you build virtue in these small items, eventually they turn into big things. What if one day you're tempted to be unfaithful to your spouse, but you can turn away from that temptation and walk away? What if you're tempted to lie to your employer, but you don't? What if you're faced with a choice to betray a friend, but you actually do the honorable thing and you remain true to them, even maybe if it causes some sacrifice on your own part, but you do the right thing. That's the kind of person I think all of us want to be. And this is the power of virtue, the power of building a good habit. So I'd like to do for you now, now that we've described what virtue is, is describe how to live it and then give you three simple steps on how to do it. So the easiest way to grow in virtue, ironically, is to identify a vice in your life that keeps you from loving others well. What is a vice in your life that keeps you from loving others well? Some examples. Maybe you're selfish with your friends. You think about yourself and you don't think about others first. Maybe you're on a road trip. You always want your music to be playing. It could be something as small as that. What if you're impatient? You're always impatient with your spouse or your friends or your children. Or maybe you struggle to give in to bodily demands. You never deny yourself food or drink. Pick one of those vices and then go after the corresponding virtue. So rather than trying to stop living the vice, which I think most of us try to do, we try to stop the bad thing in our life. Instead of trying to stop living the vice, turn and try to live the virtue. Start practicing the virtue. For example, let's say you struggle with selfishness. Go out of your way to give others their preference rather than you choosing your own preference. Something as small as that. You struggle with selfishness, give others their preference. So for example, on that road trip, let others choose their music first. Give them more time for what they want to listen to. After a meal with someone, Pick up their dishes first and take them into the kitchen to get them washed. Or even at a restaurant, a fast food restaurant, throw away their stuff. Do something for others. If someone asks you for help, even if it's inconvenient, say yes and promptly help them. Choose to do the thing that is the opposite of the vice that you struggle with. This is the basic path for growing in virtue identify a vice and aim for the virtue. If you're selfish, try to be selfless. If you're impatient, aim for patience. If, you're, if you struggle with cowardice, aim for courage, and so on and so forth. Identify the vice and then work towards the virtue. So now that you have a basic picture of what this looks like, let me give you three simple steps to continuing to grow in virtue. First, practice makes perfect. Perseverance, practice makes perfect. I have two kids who are in high school, Zach and Juliana, the two ones that I was telling the stories about. They're now in college, sorry, they're in college now. Uh, and both of them love to run for exercise. Uh, and they actually get enjoyment out of running. I've tried multiple times to try to use running to get into shape. And I'm like all psyched up for that first run. And I run it. And I'm like, man, that was tough, but I can do it again. The second time it was tough again. And the third time doesn't really happen. Now, my kids will tell you that the first time they run, it's the same thing. If they haven't been running in a while, the first time they go out on a run, it's hard work. But they keep persevering. And now they're at a point where they actually enjoy it. Remember the passions, when we live virtue, are actually ordered towards the good. So they can actually enjoy a difficult thing like running. (coughs) The key is perseverance. Day in, day out. Continue to choose, continue to choose. The catechism tells us, that the removal of the disposition towards sin that's ingrained, this ingrained disposition to sin, this re- to remove that requires much effort and self-denial until the contrary virtue is acquired. So it requires effort and self-denial until the contrary virtue is acquired. Perseverance is the key. Continue to persevere. Keep trying, keep going until you actually enjoy it. This is a marathon. It is not a sprint. It reminds me, Calvin and Hobbes is my favorite uh, comic. There's this great uh, comic. For those of you who don't know Calvin and Hobbes, Calvin's a young boy who's a kindergartner who, who, who's always doing kind of like the, uh, the the things that, that drive his parents crazy. So his imaginary tiger friend, Hobbes, um, they're out and, and Calvin's about to throw a snowball at his mortal enemy, Susie. Susie Durkins, he's about to throw a slush ball at her. And Hobbes is sitting there and he reflects with him. He says, you know, Calvin, the Greek philosophers used to say that, that to live a good life, live one of virtue. That's how you're going to be the happiest. Calvin looks at a snowball and he puts it down. And then the next, the next images show Calvin cleaning his room and doing his homework and giving a gift to his mother. And his mom's really surprised. And then the final, uh, scene shows Calvin throwing a snowball at Susie Durkins and smacking her in the head. And he's laughing hilariously. And Hobbes just looks, looks out at the reader and he says, Virtue needs more immediate gratification. Man, that's so true for us, right? We try to do the good thing and it doesn't feel good. It's hard. And so we stop. Persevere. First step in growing in virtue is perseverance. This is a marathon. It is not a sprint. It takes weeks and weeks, months, sometimes years, depending on the virtue you're trying to grow in. But it gets easier over time. It gets easier over time. It doesn't take years before you enjoy running. It might take a few weeks. Keep persevering. Secondly, find a friend who can encourage you and help hold you accountable. We need friends in our life to help us grow, to help us grow in virtue. Ideally, this might be a friend who you can imitate, who actually lives this virtue well. I had a friend in college who never spoke negatively of other people. And, you know, you you just know what it's like. You're, You're talking all the time and somebody comes up and you start making fun of them or whatever. And whenever this happened, my friend would just clam up. He would just be silent. Sometimes he would walk away. And I realized fairly quickly what was going on, and I admired it, and I started imitating. it. So find somebody you can imitate. If you struggle with selfishness, find somebody who's selfless and spend time with them. And then ask them to help hold you accountable. A great passage from the Old Testament from Ecclesiastes. This is chapter 4, verses 9 and following. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. For if either of them falls, the one will lift up his companion. But woe to the one who falls when there is not another to lift him up. We need people to lift us up to be companions on the journey. And it continues and says, If one can overpower him when he is alone, two can resist. A cord of three strands is not easily torn apart. A cord of three strands. Man, you can break a cord of one strand. A cord of two is even harder. But a cord of three is really hard, and interestingly, it's talking about a friend. But then it says a cord of three strands, and this would be my third point. We need that third cord. That third cord is God and His grace. We need God's grace to grow in virtue. Pray daily. We need the grace of God. We need the intimacy of life within us. God's grace living within us allows us to have the strength we need to grow. The great analogy of a sailboat. A sailboat needs. In order to sail, it needs the sail up and it needs the wind. The wind is like God's grace, but we need to put up the sail, our own effort. The sail needs to be up and grace needs to be pushing through it. The wind needs to push the sailboat. We need both God's grace, his salvation, his forgiveness that he offers us. We also need his grace to help us grow in virtue. And finally, I want to close with the reality that this is good news. It is a tough world out there. Even for someone who has given their life over to Christ, it's hard sometimes to conquer our fears, to conquer our weaknesses. But Jesus wants us to recognize that with him, we can do anything. We can have the confidence that if we pursue virtue and beg God for his grace, he will help us grow. St. Paul, in his letter to the Corinthians, his first letter, chapter 9, verses 24 and following, says this, Do you not know that in a race all the runners compete? but only one receives the prize. So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. If athletes are willing to make all kinds of sacrifices to beat their bodies so that they can obtain a prize here on earth, how much more should we subdue our bodies? Should we run for the sake of Christ and for eternal glory to, to spend Heaven in eternity with God, and also on this life to experience happiness, and heroism, and a life of virtue. I pray for you that you will be able to pursue a life of virtue, and together we might one day be in heaven. God bless. Thanks for listening, friends. To hear more content from speakers like this, join us for Seek Twenty Three in St. Louis, January the second through the sixth. Visit seek.focus.org to learn more.